ages are a period of time, and uh, we got several definitions I want to show you here from ISBE, the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. Ages are a period of time. <laughs> here he says are a dispensation. That's not true. Uh, and so here you have Fawcett's Bible. It says a period of time characterized by a certain stage of development of God's grand scheme of redemption. Uh, the living uh, people living in the age. There's a patriarchal age. Most mosaic age. I'm laughing because this guy, what he does here. I just wanted to show you that there are what other people think about what an age is. There is a patriarchal age, a mosaic age, a dispensation, the Christian age in which the kingdom of God comes without observation and so forth. So you see this. This guy is mixing up a lot of things. So he's mixing up uh, ages and dispensations and such. And you can see in scripture as you do a word study of the two distinct things. Then you have Kenneth Weiss says it's a period of time administered by God. That's, you know, kind of nebulous, doesn't really tell us much. Uh, Henry Alfred says all that exists under the conditions of time and space together with those conditions of time and space themselves. Conditions which do not bind God and do not exist independently of him, but are themselves the work of his word. Kind of confusing. But Dr. Schaefer, he gives this uh, definition, a, a period in God's program in which he's teaching his rational creatures something by comparison or contrast. And I think that's a really good definition there. And so what ages are, they're periods, and they go outside of time, actually. So when you look at two things, you have a dispensation. It's in time. Ages go outside of time. So you have ages here, and they go past the uh, time. And so in ages... God is doing something, and he's teaching, he's revealing something to rational creatures, something about himself by comparison or contrast. And you say, well, who's learning this? I mean, are, are we learning it? You know, I, I don't know. I, I tend to think that what he's doing and what he's showing forth is more to spirit beings, though we're going to be included in the future, and we'll see it in Ephesians 2. It says, in the ages to come, that he's going to demonstrate something to those, to us believers, about why he did what he did through the church in this dispensation. And so ages are revelatory. So let me give you a, a, a couple of good places to see a, an age. And look, if you would, um, in Colossians 1. Just go there. So in Colossians chapter 1, we don't have a lot of time to spend here, but I hope to try to give you a good uh, understanding of possibly what an age is. So Paul is talking about uh, here that uh, Christ indwelling us is something that was a mystery before. And he's going to say, and this is why we say that uh, the Old Testament doctrine and what they understood in the Old Testament is nowhere close to what we understand today, you see. And these people who continue to say that it's the same, that the doctrine from the Old Testament and what we understand today is the same. There's no difference. They obviously have a hard time reading English, much less Greek or Hebrew. And so notice here in Colossians, they actually translated age here. And Colossians chapter 1, notice in verse 25. Wherefore, I am made a minister according to the dispensation from God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word from God, even the mystery which was hid, notice, from ages, plural, and from generations. 
And so there were ages and times past, and in these ages, no one understood what he's getting ready to reveal today. They didn't know about it. So if they didn't know about it, how could they live like we live today? You see, they couldn't, they couldn't know about it. And so this is just, it, it makes my head hurt when I hear people say, they understood the same thing and had the same content of salvation that we have today. And they understood every, everything that we understand today. And there's no way that you could ever prove that from Scripture. It's just supposition from people who are talking. And so from ages and from generations, notice, but now is made manifest. And so he's getting ready to re reveal something to you that wasn't made known in ages in past and wasn't made known in generations past, but it's made known now to whom God would make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And what is that mystery? Christ is in you. Christ is indwelling each and every believer. And he is the hope of glory. He is the expectation that we could reach God's opinion of who he says we are in Christ. Nobody in times past knew that he would reveal this. It wasn't even possible. So you see this idea of an age. And so it's a period uh, in which God is revealing something. And so you have these ages talked about uh, throughout the course of time. Let's look at Luke 1, uh, excuse me, Luke 16 and verse 8. This is a very interesting illustration of it. In Luke 16 and uh, verse 8, it really gives you some interesting uh, information here. And you have this crossover from where he's talking about a dispensation. But then he goes in and he says something that's really interesting. And so here you have a classic understanding of um, a dispensation and, and the outline of a dispensation. You have a rich person, you have a, a lord, you have a steward who is over a household and he's given to the household the things he needs at the time that he needs, the household the things that they need at the time that they need it. And so let's start with verse 1 because uh, we, we're going to come here in the future, but uh, we'll save some time. Verse 1, And he said unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he, was, he had wasted his goods. And he called him, and he said unto him, How is it that I hear of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship. For thou may no longer be a steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord takes away from me the stewardship, and I cannot dig. To beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of my stewardship, that they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of the Lord's debtors unto him, and said unto the first, How much owest thou, my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto the, uh, him, Take the bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then said he to another, How much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he says unto him, Take the bill and write fourscore. Now notice what happens here at verse four, I mean eight. And the Lord, not the Lord God, but the Lord of this steward, you see. He commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely or really prudently. For the children of this world, no, it's not really the word world there, it's the children of this age. Oh yeah? It's the children of this age are wiser, uh, the children of this age are in their generations wiser than are the children of light. And really it's not the word children there, it's really the sons. The sons of this age are wiser in their generations than the children of light. 
There's a lot of things that are being said here. And one of the things that I think you can say right off the top, if you think that you can do anything that an unsafe man can do in this world, or really say in this age, you're fooling yourself. You can't do anything that you see an unsafe man do. You can't. You don't understand how they're being energized to do what they do. They're getting help, and they're getting help that you're not going to get. And so you have this, this thing going on behind the scenes in which God is t- telling a story, and he's revealing things through these ages. And the age that we're in now that you, you see in Scripture that it's called, it's called the present evil age, and you see it in Galatians uh, 1, 4. Again, I don't think it's translated uh, age there. It's translated world. I think there's only two times in the King James where it's translated age. But it's just an unbelievable doctrine when you understand it. Now notice in verse 1, Paul, an apostle, uh, not of men, neither by men, but Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace is to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins, or really as a substitute for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. It's a present evil age. And why is it, what's happening in this age? God is showing forth something. He's demonstrating something to rational creatures about something. And what is it? That here in this age, Satan is trying to pull everyone down with him to his level. And it's an age that is characterized by this malignant evilness. Now notice, we were talking about this in membership class yesterday. Look at 1 Corinthians. It's really interesting. And this is why, as believers, you better be led by the Spirit in what you do. You better be led by the Spirit in what you do. There's a lot of people doing things, and they think that they're doing God a favor, and that they're doing the righteous work of God. And all they're doing is participating in the age. That's all they're doing. They have gotten sucked into the age. Look at it right here in 1 Corinthians 1.20. Now, notice the context here is that you had the Corinthians that had gotten caught up with what was happening in Corinth, and they did not believe that the doctrine that Paul was teaching was all that. And so they were involved in the wisdom of the age and such. And Paul warns them. Notice he, he says over in the third chapter, if any man considers himself to be wise in this age... Let him become a fool. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness alongside of God. And notice he says, he gives you some interesting things here, information here about what's happening in the age. Verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is a power from God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the, really, that word, see, disputer? It's the debater of this age. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And so you have these three elements in the age in which uh, Satan uses these people to promote their, vi- their version of truth. And you have people who believe that we have to debate with someone. Do you know I've gotten to the point where I've... I'm, I'm okay with the fact that you will be wrong. <laughs> I've allowed people to be wrong. 
<laughs> I mean, well, there's a lot of people who honestly who say things from Scripture that is just foolishness. I'm not going to sit up and debate with them. I'm not. You know what I tell most of those people? It's not like we're not going to find out the truth. We're all going to find out the truth. You want to hold to that? Hold to it. We're going to all find out the truth. I'm not going to sit up and debate with somebody and go back and forth over whether this is right or wrong. I'll leave you with your error. And so if you can show me in Scripture where what I say is wrong, do it. But I'm not going to go back and debate back and forth. I have no desire, zilch, to do it. None. Absolutely none. And so a, 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 a characteristic of this age is this. It's that debate that people think that they can come to an understanding of truth through debating back and forth, back and forth. And it's just really satanic. It really is. And so you have these people who think that they can come to an understanding of truth through wisdom. And so you have these characteristics in which Satan is using these things to manipulate people to bring them to his own purpose and his own purposes. You see, and people don't really realize what they're doing. They're convinced that what they're doing is right. Now, I don't know for a fact, but some people think that Demas was had gotten caught up in the age in that debating where it says that I think it, over in Second Timothy, it says that he uh, had forsaken Paul having loved this present age. Well, what was he doing? Here's Paul who was in a dungeon. Some believe that Demas might have ran off to Thessalonica, which is where he was, and felt that uh, carrying out some debate with somebody about something was more important than being with Paul. You see, the age can really trip you up. It can really trip you up. And so let me show you one other scripture in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. Now notice in Ephesians chapter 2, you see again, it's a, there's a ages that are going to happen in the future. This is just an amazing thing to see. Um, and so it's in the middle of a context here. This is really amazing. And just start with verse 1. And he says, And he has, he, you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And every time I come here, I want to point out trespasses and sin means sins is different from trespasses. Well, that, that conjunction there makes a big difference. Verse 2, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this age. You see? And so what, what is happening in this age? Satan is carrying on a convert operation in which he's manipulating things behind the scenes. And people are doing things and being manipulated by him. And they're convinced that what they're doing in many instances, it's godly. They don't realize they're just being manipulated. And so notice, according to the course of this age, really it's consisting of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, or really the mature sons of disobedience. Not only is Satan working, and what's interesting with these ones, these sons of Satan, and it really is only said of these sons of Satan. He actually provides the power from them to operate. You look at some of these guys, these mature sons of Satan and how they're being used. You say, well, what, don't they just ever get tired? Don't, won't, don't they ever give up? But they're like the Energizer Bunny. They just keep going, going, going. 
and they just continue to do it, and they, will, they do not relent because they're being energized. He's providing the power for them to operate and to do his will. And so we were among them, and we were subject to all of this kind of stuff before we were saved. And so notice he says in verse 3, among whom also we had our conversation, our uh, manner of life in times past, and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires, desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love when he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has he quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Now, why did he do it? That in the ages to come. So he actually translated that way here. That he might show. That word show is a, is a Greek word for dichnomy a form of that word, and it actually has the idea to put on a display. There's a display that he's going to put on and which he is going to explain and to show why he did what he did to us and through us in this dispensation. That he might show the exceeding riches from his grace by his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. And so notice the ages go outside of time. They're going to go and extend beyond time. Dispensations are in time. Ages are outside of time. And what is God doing in an age in revealing? So in his plan and purposes that he established, one of the ways that he's communicating something about himself is he has these ages. And think of them as if you have a stage play that's going on. And in that play, something is being revealed and taught. And people can understand it. They can see it, or these rational beings can see it. One of the best ways to explain it is when I was a young kid, there was a, a preacher that used to have flannelgraph illustrations that he would do. Now, this is beyond some of you, darling. I know that you've never seen this. But there was this thing at one point in time called a flannelgraph. And you would take it. I'd never forget it. You could take the paper and you would put it on the, the um, flannelgraph, and it would stick. And it was, what you were doing is you would, he would put a man here, a man here, and it was telling a story. It was telling a story. We, we, we would do that in vacation Bible school and Sunday school. And you could see through the visual of seeing it, you could learn something that was being told. And I think that that's what's happening with ages. That God is using these ages and he is communicating something to rational beings something about himself that he wants them to know. And so you don't see it. You understand it. There's a lot of people that are participating in it. And it's just an interesting thing to see, but it's one of those means that he's using to communicate. Now, when we come to dispensations, a dispensation, if I can get this to turn, and it's not, boy, it you think I'm doing something wrong? Okay. All right. It should be. Uh, anyway, a dispensation uh, is, I give you this definition on page 17 of your, of your uh, booklet, um, is another means that God is using to reveal things in this time frame. And so a dispensation is a period in God's program in which he is revealing something to man about himself through provisions of some benefit um, 
that man rejects, thereby showing that man is incapable of making proper decisions um, for, well, himself. <laughs> That's the, I don't know, it must be that disappearing ink. <laughs> and so man is incapable of making decisions uh, for himself. And so, thank you, right there, Carl. And so what you see, this word for uh, dispensation is the word orkomenai. Um, and so orkos, which is house, uh, nomos, which, which is rule. And so it's the idea of a house rule. And so uh, we looked at uh, Luke, the 16th chapter, and you see a graphic illustration of that in Luke, the 16th chapter. So you have a Lord, and that Lord places a steward over his household, and the steward then tells the household or gives to the household the things that they need at the time that they need it. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, it's come straight over into the English language as that. Or some people would translate it stewardship. I, so here's a good example. Let, let's look at one um, example here in Second Timothy. Um, First Timothy, actually, chapter 1. I think um, one of the translations, I think it's the NIV that actually translates it stewardship. Uh, here, it's just not translated well at all, unfortunately. And so notice in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul sends Timothy to Ephesus. And the reason for him going to Ephesus was that there were people in Ephesus that were teaching a different kind of Old Testament doctrine. And he sent Timothy over there and he says, you charge them to stop teaching a different kind of Old Testament doctrine. He didn't tell them to go in there and say, would you guys pretty please, would you not do that? He says, you charge them to stop it. And so he goes over there, and Timothy's not um, uh, up to the challenge a little bit. And so Paul writes him, and notice he says here in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the, uh, the commandment of God, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, our, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still in Ephesus when I was in Macedonia, that thou might charge them that they teach no other doctrine. And so that uh, other doctrine is heteros didascalia. It's a different kind of Old Testament doctrine. So you see, we teach the Old Testament. We don't teach the Old Testament for practice. You see, There's a huge difference between those two. And so we, are, we learn a lot from the Old Testament. We learn about the character of God. We learn a lot from the Old Testament. But we don't teach it for practice. And so these were. And so notice they were trying to teach law as a means of living. And so you can see it in the context. And notice in verse 4 he says, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister. Yeah, so here we have a bad translation. A questions rather than godly edifying which is in so faith do. Uh, you know, godly edifying, which isn't so... Okay, uh, you had a question there, Dan? Well, <clears throat> this is a... This, for all the reasons you've indicated, a very um, critical issue on this on this verse, I mean, on this term, the, the English Standard Version puts stewardship in there. Right. 
And I think the the ASB <coughs> now the ASB 2014 has got has got edification as does you know the ASB like ni when 19 whatever it was the early ASB 1901 is uh, <coughs> dispensation. They say, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so good. So not very many translations get it. And so it's the same word uh, that we use for dispensations. And I would really translate it than a dispensation from God. And notice the one in faith. And so there's a dispensation that God has given that is characterized by faith. And so you wouldn't get that from that translation. I mean, it's just really interesting the way that they put that there. It's it's just really interesting. Yeah. Pastor, you, you have been talking about, I, I heard you talking with someone this Sunday about translation and also about texts. Right. The fascinating thing about this verse, for those of us that have studied it, is there doesn't seem to be a real textual issue here. No, it's not. So irrespective of Westcott right. Court or Byzantine text, they are still mistranslating. Yeah. You and do not understand it. Uh, you think that this is maybe a, so there's there could be a textual issue and then there can be a theological issue and many times this is a the, this is a theological issue and, and what it amounts to is the King James translators were covenant yeah if they had translated this dispensation it would be shooting themselves in the foot they wouldn't do it right and my 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 belief has been when you see ages all over the place that it's deliberately mistranslated because yeah. it would undermine well, and saying ages, I mean, both of these are really crucial in understanding what God is doing and revealing uh, and, and making revelations today. And, and I think if, if you don't understand, particularly the dispensations, if you don't, if you don't get this, I, I think it's really hard for you to understand Scripture. And I would really think that it's probably the basis of why there's so much confusion in teaching the Scripture today. And so the lack of understanding it, and so and a lot of people don't see it. Now there's three different rules of law, uh, three di three different dispensations that you could see in Scripture that are actually called dispensations in Scripture. And so I'm not going to get that, so we'll go past it. And so there are seven dispensations that are recorded or inferred in Scripture altogether. And so we have them listed here: the dispensation of innocence. Uh, was a period in which God allowed man to choose whether to trust solely in Him or to uh, an unknown alternative that awaited at the eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, you can see that in Genesis chapter 2. The dispensation of conscience followed uh, innocence, in which uh, whether or not man would act right when provided knowledge uh, for proper behavior. Could man live by his conscience? Uh, no. Uh, don't ever say that you're going to let your conscience be your guide. But your conscience is a relative thing, right? It's relative to what culture you come from. Um, it's relative to what country you come from. You know, there's a lot of things that factor in, into that. Um, the dispensation of human government was established after the Noahic flood, providing for the test as to whether man could use governmental structure to accomplish what God desired. And you see that in Genesis 4 and on. Uh, the dispensation of promise was a result of the failure of human government. God made promises to a small, the smallest nation from among mankind and made promises to them to prove to the rest of mankind that the God of this people was greater than the gods that they were serving. And you can see a good commentary on that in Acts, the seventh chapter, and verses 2 through 17. The dispensation of law resulted from the failure of the people of God to trust his promises, uh, that, the promises that God made to them. 
assuming that they could do all that God desired. And you can see this in Galatians 4. You can go back into Exodus, the 19th chapter, and see that. The dispensation of grace, which is the one that we're currently in, proves the failure of law. The nation of Israel found that they could not do all that God desired, and God provided for a period of, um, and, and God provided for a period when he would provide all that is necessary to be well-pleasing to himself. All that is needed is to trust his provisions by faith. And so that's what we're supposed to be doing in this dispensation. Uh, we're supposed to be loving one another, um, characterized living by faith. You know, it's a pretty easy thing to do, but the church is not doing it. And so it's going to meet the same fate as some of the other dispensations. And then you have... Um, <coughs> Uh, well, I'm missing some uh, stuff here, but here you have your chart there. You have innocence, conscience, human government, promise, law, grace, uh, and then the fullness of times, which is going to happen during the uh, millennial kingdom uh, at the end of the tribulation period. And so you have those dispensations. And so God unveiled a large portion of his will to the believers in the dispensation of grace. And so he made known... Um, uh, his life was encased in human flesh. God made known to his disciples the things that he heard from the Father. Uh, he chose uh, the Apostle Paul to desirously know his will and made known uh, good news for stabilizing believers in this dispensation. Just a lot of things that he used in this dispensation to, to make known. There was more information that was revealed in this dispensation than any of the other dispensations uh, ever knew. Oh, here we go. And my last one, I thought it would left me. The dispensation of the fullness of time is the last dispensation, and uh, it too will end in faith, failure due to rebellion. And you see that listed in Ephesians uh, chapter 1. A couple of other things that you see in terms of revelation is uh, times and seasons. And so you'll see these periodically mentioned in Scripture. And so there are periods in which God has certain things in the decree that he has determined is going to happen. And so we have times is the word for chronos, and they're chronological times. This is things that will happen in a sequence of order. And then you have the word for seasons is the word kairos, and it's the proper time for something to occur. You see? And so you see those two used throughout Scripture. And so let's look at a couple of places where you see them used. Look at Acts, the first chapter in verse 7. Acts chapter 1 and verse 7. And so the Lord is getting ready to go, and he's getting ready to ascend into heaven. And the disciples, if you want to understand what the disciples understood, they didn't understand what the church thinks that they understood. They weren't thinking about the church. That's not what was on their minds. They were not thinking about setting up a church where there was going to be a pastor, teacher, and all of these spiritual gifts. There was one thing on their mind, and it was consistently on their mind. When are you going to set up the kingdom that was promised to Israel? You see this throughout the course of the Gospels. You see it, a good place to see it is in Matthew, the 16th chapter, when uh, the Lord told them to stop teaching that he was the Messiah and that he was going to die and be buried and resurrected. Uh, Peter said, be it far from you. Why did he say that to him? Because he said, we said you're the Messiah. When are you going to set this kingdom up? That's all they were concerned with. They had a single like focus of those promises that was made that the, the Messiah was going to come and set up a kingdom. So you see it right before he leaves. They're still fascinated with this. They're still concerned about this kingdom. And so notice in verse, we'll pick it up in verse uh, four. 
And being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which says he, you have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. And when they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom unto Israel? Now, I would see this as an iterative idea. I think that this is how they did it. I think they kept on asking him, is it now time? Is it now time? Are you going to do it now? That's all they were concerned about was the kingdom to Israel. And some of the things that he said to them, they had no bearing on it. Remember, he said, some of the things that I'm saying to you now, I'll, the Holy Spirit will bring them to remembrance in the future. And remember, they were supposed to go and go to, um, and baptize all the nations to um, Jerusalem, to Maria, and the utmost parts of the earth. And we just see when they get into the 11th chapter, they went to take the gospel to none but Jews only. They were not concerned about the things that you and I are looking at today. And that's really important if you understand that. And so you say, it's not for you to know. Um, and so notice in verse 7, and he says, Unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons. You see. And so there are periods in which God has chronological things that are going to happen in sequence. And there are periods in when God has proper things to happen at a proper season for them to happen, you see. And so you see both of those that are used uh, throughout the course of Scripture. Now notice this word for uh, chronos, uh, the word times is the word chronos, and it's used, uh, well, we'll see it in a couple other places. And then the word uh, kairos is seasons. Now let's look at another place I wanted to go to before we, in 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. Now, this is a really interesting uh, script, uh, passage of Scripture. So the problem that the uh, Thessalonians had was they didn't know when the rapture was going to occur, but they understood the day of the Lord. And you could see it in the fifth chapter, in the fifth chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Notice in the fifth chapter, he says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write unto you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Now, the day of the Lord starts at the rapture and it goes all the way on the other side of the millennial kingdom, right? So it's just not one day. It's a period of time. And so <clears throat> they understood that, but they didn't know about the rapture. But notice, here's really wonderful, these pronouns in here. It really tells you about um, who he's talking to and the fact, really, these pronouns uh, prove that we're not going through the tribulation period. Notice in verse 3, he says, For when they shall say peace and safety, sudden destruction shall come upon who? Them. See, not you. Them. As travail upon a woman with a child, and notice, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Um, Ye are all children of light and, and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be, so, and be sober. And so notice in verse 1, but the times and the seasons. 
And so you have these two um, events, and so you have chronological things when things are going to occur, and then the um, proper time for them to occur. And notice the word times is used in Scripture. Uh, and I give you some background information in the Hebrew word for it versus the Greek, and you can look those up, and you can see other different events <coughs> that talks about um, that these are referred to. Uh, the tribulation period, for example, in Jer Jeremiah 30 is seen as the time of Jacob's trouble. Um, and so um, it's a judgment upon the nation of Israel. Um, and so the time of God's visitation and such, uh, time of reformation. Uh, and so you have times, um, the end times and the decree of God and then the fullness of time, as it's mentioned in Ephesians 1.10. Then you have seasons, which is used again in Scripture as a proper environment for things to occur. And so... One of the interesting things to see is that Scripture notes that there is more than one season planned in the decree. Um, and so let's look, if you would, notice in First uh, Timothy 6.15. <clears throat> and so it's at the proper season that the sun's going to um, come back. And I think here he's talking about at the end of the tribulation period in this context. Uh, notice... Paul is talking to Timothy in, in, the, in the First Timothy again in the chapter 6, and he says, verse 13, I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickens all things before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his times will show. Oh, I just love this. He's going to put on a graphic demonstration. Ha! <laughs> This is just a wonderful verse. I put it right there with uh, second, my Second Thessalonians passage. <laughs> He's going to put on a graphic display of what? Who is the blessed and only potentate? Now, here's a dictator that you want to be a dictator. Because <laughs> he's going to be a blessed dictator, a happy dictator. You see, most of these dictators today, they're mean and morose. They just want to just squash people, right? Well, he's going to squash them people, but it's going to be his enemies. He's not just going to squash people for squashing sake. And who is the king of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light that no man can approach unto. You know, all of these people that say that they've seen the Lord Jesus in his resurrected body. Huh, I think about this. It says he dwells today in light that no man can approach unto, right? What did Paul say when he says, I saw him on the road to Damascus? I saw a light that was brighter than the noonday sun, you see. And so you have all these people that have seen him, and it's interesting. And so, uh, whom no man has seen nor can see, who is able to see, to whom is honor and power everlasting. Amen. And so you notice in his times, in, in the proper season that the Father has set, that the Son is going to occur when things are ripe, the proper time for that to occur. And so you see it used that way throughout the course of the New Testament. Notice God planned days to accomplish his uh, plans. So you see the day of the Lord as an example, the day of vengeance, the day of Christ, uh, the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, the day of Jesus Christ. And so you have all of these things that are components in uh, God revealing things uh, from his plan and purposes. Notice God planned judgments to account for opposition to his will. You have the Bema Seat judgment. Uh, you have the judgment of the, uh, the nation of Israel, the judgment of the sheep and the goats, and the great white throne judgment. Uh, 
And then let's jump down to Jay. God planned for uh, calling and securing and providing for believers in his des desirous will. And so you have these different points of what we wanted to say here is there was different points of that God has provided in the decree in which he's using uh, various math methodologies to reveal things throughout the course of his plan and purposes. And so you see the, at the centerpiece of that are ages and dispensations and then there are other things as well. Notice the next thing is on page 23, there are essential characteristics to understand about God's will as seen in the decree. Notice the goals of God's will as outlined in scripture. <clears throat> and so we talked about it in Ephesians that the main um, focus of uh, God's will is his good pleasure. And so notice if you go back in Ephesians 1.5, and I know that sometimes um, we, f we encounter things in which we don't like what God is doing, uh, either in our life or in the world. But I hate to tell you, it ain't about you and me. Uh, it's not about you and I. And, uh, you know, you, I know that you, some of us struggle with that, right? And you say, well, that ain't right. Because you and I have been told in this life, everything is about you and me. And God's not going to be moved by that. You know, you, you think about that, you know, when uh, I sometimes think about that with regard to when someone dies. I know that when my mother died, one of the things that struck me when she died was the fact that other people have died. Is she exempt? And the thing about it is, is that everybody's talking about going to heaven, but it's interesting to me, nobody wants to die to get there. It's just one of the most interesting things. Nobody wants to die to get there, but it's okay because it's all going to happen in God's timing, according to what uh, uh, is um, that he set aside for that to happen. Now, notice in Ephesians chapter one, uh, one in verse three, blessed is the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings, and I would say in the heavenlies, in Christ. And so notice these um, blessings that we have, they're spiritual in nature. And notice where you find them. They're in your position in Christ. Sometimes this is really used wrongly with this issue of blessing. I've been blessed with this or that, and... Most of what people are saying I've been blessed with is more physical things. But really what we've been promised is that we've been blessed with spiritual blessings. And where are those blessings at? In the, in, in the heavenlies. In Christ. Notice in verse 4. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated uh, uh, unto us the adoption of children by Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure and notice this um, what brought him good consideration that word for good pleasure good pleasure is you to you is what's good to is a consideration so in a comp composition you would say his good pleasure and where did that good pleasure come from down from his desirous will. And so it's God's good pleasure that operates the things that are happening in his plan and purposes. This is what, it's what he wants. It's what he desires at any time. And we're going to see this when it comes right down to our everyday life. This is what a lot of believers struggle with. They want God to do what they want. 
I think Joyce showed me a, a thing yesterday. And what did it say? Something about, I thank God that he saved me from all of the prayers that I prayed or asked him about. Well, think about some of the things that people have asked. And if you would have gotten what you asked God for, you'd be in major trouble today. How many of us sit, sitting here today, if you would have gotten the things that you just thought were life and death that you asked God for and he said no, you would have been in trouble today. Think about some of those boyfriends or girlfriends that you wanted to date back in the day. <laughs> you look at now and you say, thank God you saved me from that. Yeah. And so it's according to God's good pleasure that that happens. And that's a huge thing to, to remember. Now notice there are three elements to consider concerning the will of God. God has a desirous will which indicates what God desires to happen as reflected in the decree. God has a permissive will in which God allows certain things to happen. And so this word permissive is translated in AV often by the word he suffered, uh, which translates several Greek words. You have uh, eo, which is used in the New Testament as something uh, allowed to, that's uh, allowing something to occur. Uh, let's look at an example of that. Look at Acts, the 14th chapter and verse uh, 16. Now, this is a very fascinating chapter here. Paul goes into Lyconia. And as he's in Lyconia, um, he heals this guy. Uh, uh, and notice, uh, he heals this guy. Let's pick it up in verse um, uh, 8. And they said a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a crippled from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercury's because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garland unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. When, which when the, uh, the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you these things? We are men of like passions with you. And we preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities into the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without a witness in that he did good. And he gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and, gl and gladness. And so notice in the past, God allowed these Gentiles to walk in their own ways. So what happened? At the Tower of Babel, all men had rejected him. And so what did he do? He picked out one group of people, which you see in, in the, um, the Deuteronomy 7, that that was the smallest nation of, the, of men. And he started making promises to this one group of people that, um, in order that he would show the rest of the world that the God of the Jews was greater than the gods that they were serving. And what, is he, what did he do? He allowed all the rest of the Gentiles to walk in their own ways. But he let, didn't, didn't leave them without a witness. And that, what did he do? He did good. He sent them rain from, from heaven and fruitful seasons, 
filling their hearts with food and gladness. And so the rest of the Gentiles walked their own way. And they did have some that proselytized and some became strangers and such uh, with the nation of Israel. But the vast majority of the Gentiles were just allowed to walk in their own way.